Please take your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. I do have an announcement to make. There is a white Isuzu, I believe a rodeo. I didn't go look at the back of it, but the license plate number is CLK1316, and your lights are on. And you say, well, that's pretty, uh, pre- uh, uh, pretty generous of you to make that announcement. No, I just don't want to be the guy jumping that person off after service in the cold. So uh, hopefully, hopefully that person, it's right up here uh, on this side of the building. So is it you, Miss Curry? Might be you? Okay, all right, good news. We don't want you to be cold while, we're, while you're trying to get out this afternoon. So hopefully it'll start up for you. If not, just get Brother Jim or one of them guys, okay? Acts chapter 17 this, this uh, uh, morning. Uh, Friday night, uh, we went to the, as a youth department, went to the Fort Worth, well, it's not the Fort Worth, the Lone Star Brahmas game, and we stayed all night. We were up all night long with your bratty children, and uh, it was a good time. We had fun. Uh, we had a little church service there. It was just a great time of fellowship for everybody. And then, so if I'm off my game today, more so than I always am off my game, probably because I didn't sleep at all the night before last. So if I just have an excuse. That way, if I do be, if I am bad today, I almost said if I do be bad today. So it's not starting off well. We'll say that. But uh, I don't know if you know this, but today is the opening Sunday of our missions conference, and boy, am I excited to hear the works of the two missionaries that are with us. They'll be with us tonight, and they'll present both of their works. Uh, I know one of them is preaching in Children's Church this morning, and the other is preaching at the Spanish ministry. So I'm excited about that, and uh, I, I can't wait to, to see their heart's burden for where they're going. So that'll be a good time tonight. Acts chapter 17 this morning. We will begin reading in verse 16. Please be in prayer for my dad. He is in Tennessee. He's preaching Uh, for my brother. He really went up there just to help give him some counsel. Uh, He's in a very, uh, uh, a time of a lot of decisions. And uh, and my dad went up there just to fly up there and encourage him and really to just help him and give him counsel, to be honest. And so if you'll pray for him and just traveling safeties, he'll be back tomorrow. Acts chapter 17, verse 16, we'll start reading. The Bible says, now while Paul waited for them at Athens... His spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him and some said, What will this babbler say? Others some he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know therefore what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Now our passage truly begins now in verse 22, and you'll recognize really the content of it as we begin reading. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, 
Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth, giveth to all life and breath and all things. And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live, and move, and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold, or silver, or stone, graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Baal departed from among them, howbeit certain men clave unto him, and believed among the which was Dionysius the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with him. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we pray this morning that you would bless the scripture. We pray that you would bless the, the reading of it. Father, I pray now that you would also help me preach the word of God with boldness and authority. Lord, give me discretion and give me wisdom. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would move in me, but that it would also move in the hearts of those that are listening to the sermon, whether by uh, their presence here today in the congregation or uh, online on the live stream or the radio station. Father, please use this in some way, I pray in your precious name. Amen. Now, one would not have to search very far in the Word of God to find just exactly how much God knows or just exactly how much he sees. For the Bible says in Proverbs 15 and verse 3, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. There's nothing hid from the sight of God. In fact, Hebrews 15 verse 3 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. See, this morning as we sit in this auditorium, I have no doubt that God is here. For the Bible says that God is everywhere. God knows everything. God sees everything. And many times that is an intimidating thought for many Christians, and that has been preached very staunchly by many preachers, that God sees what you're doing, and that's true. I believe also the Bible insinuates and tells us that 
God not only sees the evil things, but the good things. And that's a great truth for us to glean from the Scriptures this morning. However, there is a time in Scripture, and there's only one time in Scripture, where the Bible says that God overlooks something. See, God sees everything and knows everything. But in our passage today, the Bible teaches us that God chose to overlook something. And that's what I want to speak to you about this morning, what God chose to overlook. Verse number 30 is truly where we find this. Verse number 30, I draw your attention to it before we get into the sermon. The Bible says, because he had appointed a day. Uh, I'm sorry, verse number 30. And the times of this ignorance... God winked at. This morning I simply want to speak to you on this thought, when God winked. When God winked. Now this is the only time in Scripture this word or the usage of this Greek word is ever used. It's a very strange word and it's not at all used in the way that we would use this word. You know, I use this word as, hey baby... Right? Is that not how you use this word? Wink. You wink at someone. I would rather you not wink at me now just to avoid any awkward uh, 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 eye contact. Uh, My wife and I predominantly are the only people that wink at each other. But that's not the connotation of this. This word wink specifically means to overlook, to not take notice of, or not attend to. And so we find ourselves... Wondering, what is this thing that God overlooked? He knows all, he sees all, he's everywhere, but he overlooked this. And so that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, very briefly, what God overlooked. First of all, he overlooked an ignorant worship. An ignorant worship. Look in verse 23 of this passage. Paul is preaching at Mars Hill. The Athenians were very famous for all their diverse collection of gods. I mean, they had a god for war. They had a a god for the sun. They had a god for just about everything. And And our scripture even tells us this morning that they had a god that said, To the unknown god. So if there's one out there that we're not familiar with or that we're not included into... We want to make sure he's still receiving our worship. And so they had an inscription on an altar that says, To the God we don't know about. And that specifically is what God overlooked. He overlooked their ignorant worship. Look in verse 23. We see a clueless devotion. The Bible says, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Now, it's very funny to me how, although these people had collected hundreds and hundreds of different gods, really a, a paganistic, uh, uh, a multi-deistic uh, 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 nation here, as they worshipped and had temples all throughout their city, very famous for this. And now they have an altar with the unknown God, the one that they're not familiar with, the one that they've not heard about, but they're still admiring it and they're still worshiping it. A clueless devotion. They just had no idea. They weren't sure if there was another God out there. And as we look this morning at what God overlooks, don't misunderstand. God does not overlook 
false worship. But at this point in time, he overlooked their ignorant worship. See, they just didn't know any better. They didn't know the truth of God's word. They didn't know about Christ coming and dying on Calvary. They didn't know. They had never heard. A clueless devotion. Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 3, uh, the Bible says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they would be saved. For I bear them record, and notice this, that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. It doesn't matter how excited you are about fixing your car. If you know nothing about fixing your car, it's not going to get accomplished by your hands. You see, I don't know how to even change the oil in my car. And every time I ask my dad, hey, dad, come show me how to change the oil in my car. He says, "Uh, it's not worth it. Just go pay the $40 to have it done, son. Every time I've asked him multiple times, now, you know what, I'll just pay it for you, son. (laughs) It's not worth your time. And so I I wouldn't even know where to begin. Somebody got in my car the other day, Brother Brian Hufford got in my truck the other day and drove back from the the hockey rink. And he said, hey, Brother Andrew, do you know the check engine light's on? And I said, yeah, but that's about as much as I know about it. (laughs) I just don't know that much about fixing a vehicle. And see, no matter how excited I am about, yeah, I really want to get it fixed. My knowledge is limited in that area. And so I can never apply anything that I do not even know. And so as Paul walked through Mars Hill and he walked through Athens, he looked around and he said, you're just clueless. You know, I'm so thankful that I was born in America. More specifically, I'm I'm thankful I was born in the promised land of Texas. That's the only time any of those people have said amen. And some of them had to wake up to say amen. 30-second delay. Amen, preacher. I just now registering what I said. But I'm glad I was born in Texas. I'm very thankful that I was born in the home that I was born into. Because I couldn't imagine being born in some jungle in Africa depending on you to send me a missionary. I'm thankful the Lord placed me in the location that I I was. And and yeah, every man must make his own choice to follow Christ and have faith in Christ. But I've been very blessed and benefited to be around the Word of God and be around the preached Word of God and the correctly taught Word of God. For instance, my salvation could be just as uh, altered if I had been born in a Mormon home. And I could just as easily be on my way to hell following false doctrine. But I'm thankful I wasn't. See, if you're going to apply the Bible, you have to know something about the Bible. That's why uh, as the eunuch sits there and reads the book of Isaiah, uh, Philip comes by and says, Do you understand what you're reading? He says, How can I except some man should guide me? He wanted to know, but he had no knowledge. You see, we kick off the missions conference this morning, and I'm so excited we are. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to have missionaries come up here, and we're going to have them stand up and present their work. And essentially all they're saying is, I want to go tell some people the truth. I want to go share with them the knowledge that I have already been given. But 
If we were to venture outside these walls, people's perception of Christ is not always accurate. Because a lot of people that would claim to know a little bit about Christ or claim to have seen a movie or seen pictures of Him know nothing about salvation by faith through grace. The same people that claim to know Christ, they're the same people that are working their way to heaven. And they just have a false knowledge. Uh, uh, Make no mistake about it. This is a missions uh, conference, a, a global worldwide thing we're trying to encourage you to get involved with. But global includes the surrounding area. And, and there's too many people here in America for us to just send everybody to Africa. There's too many people here in America that just don't know the truth. And I hope as we uh, go through this missions conference, you'll see that God at one time did overlook a clueless devotion. Somebody that just didn't know. And he sent this man, Paul, to deliver the truth. Maybe he's sending you to deliver the truth. Just maybe he's put you in a location, whether at your work or whether uh, your neighborhood or wherever, that people know you. And because of your relationship with them, you can give them the truth. And that's a great uh, uh, thing this morning. Third, uh, secondly, I want you to notice that there was no doubt about the message that Paul was going to give them. He gave them a certain declaration. Verse 23, the Bible says... Uh, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Now the God you don't know about, the God that all these others are fake, but the God you don't know about, that's the one I declare unto you. And make no bones about it, he continues in verse 24. I, I don't know who you think made the world, but this God that I'm about to proclaim unto you, verse 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and of earth dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Now he's speaking a lot of truth here. Especially to these people that have temples built up thinking that their gods were somehow contained or worshipped in these buildings. Paul says, the God that created the worlds, the God that sustains the worlds, the gods that's so much bigger than anything you can even imagine, that's the God I declare unto you. And if you were to take a look in America this morning... Uh, there's a lot of people with gods. Little G-O-D-S. A, a lot of gods are prevalent in America. Materialism, humanism, uh, the, the worship of oneself or knowledge. It's, uh, that's the saddest religion of them all is when man thinks they've become something. But that is so prevalent in America. Uh, there's so many little G-O-D-S this morning. But what we're called to do as Christians is to proclaim and declare the one true God. And if they're to see that God, everything else will pale in comparison. Now, what I like about it is Paul doesn't start ripping them on their false worship. He just says, what I'm going to declare is true worship. What I have is real. What you guys have is fake. And all it takes is one look at a, a counselor's office and how busy it is for us to see that the little G-O-D-S that people have in are not working. And man, I hope that we can feel a little fire, feel a little excitement, get a little encouraged to go out and share with the world. 
that they just have an ignorant worship. And that there's a God that loves them and a God that cares about them. A certain declaration. Romans 10, verse 13, one of the most famous verses in the Bible. No doubt you know it from Sunday school. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? God at one time saw that men did not have the truth. And he said, I will give you the truth in Jesus Christ, and now I will have my believers share that truth with others. But there's no way anybody's going to nix their ignorant worship. There's no way anybody's going to uh, repent or turn to the one true God unless his laborers share the truth. The real deal. No fake, nothing fake about it. The real truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God at this time overlooked an ignorant worship. And I'm so glad he did for these people's sakes. But I want you to notice here in the passage an ignoring wink. Verse 30, and this is really what the whole sermon's about. Verse 30, the Bible says, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Now, I've been trying to be very careful this morning about saying what God winked at or what God has overlooked in the past because God's not overlooking it to to this day. When did that change occur? When was it that God at one time was overlooking but no longer is? When He sent His Son. When Christ came into the world, God said, they don't have an excuse. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, that even nature screams that there is a God. For the invisible things of creation, uh, for the invisible things of Him are clearly seen through creation. Not only does it say that in Romans chapter 1, but Romans chapter 2 verse 15 goes on to tell us, how the the Gentiles behave well sometimes because the law of God is clearly written on their heart. You see, no man is without excuse before God. There is no valid excuse as to why no man would follow his son, Jesus Christ, except a lack of knowledge. One day they'll stand before God, and that's not going to do anything to usher them into heaven. And all they'll have to stand there and say, God will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And the man will have to say, well, I never knew you either. And that day will be a sad day because many people will be ushered through the great white throne of judgment without ever hearing the truth. What a sad day that will be. But this is what Paul declared that day. No longer was God overlooking it. And he says here, He teaches a message of repentance. The Bible says, In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Now in Christianity over the past, I I don't know, uh, since I've been alive over the past decade or two, what seems to really have happened is our message has become very watered down. 
And really what we've tried doing, it seems, in, in a lot of circles is that they would rather fill a building than fill a man's heart. And that's why many times you have the ability to fill uh, stadiums with members and believers, and yet towns are not impacted at all. Entire areas are not at all affected by an engulf, uh, an, an, uh, an amount of Christians just taking over an area. If you have 50,000 people that are born again, saved believers, I think that should impact a town. But the reason is, is because we've lost our message of repentance. You see, Christ came to save that which was lost, but even Christ out of his own mouth said, they that be whole don't need a physician. Uh, they that be sick, those are the ones that I came for. And see, we need to teach a message of repentance. We have to stay firm on that doctrine of the Word of God. Second Peter verse three, uh, verse 9 of chapter 3 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, uh, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, Christ came into this world to save sinners. Even Paul says, of whom I am chief. He came to save each and every one of us. But he didn't come to save us so that we could keep our dainty little sin on the side. A message of repentance. Paul clearly said in front of all of these Athenians that day, you should repent before a holy God. And that's a great thing. Secondly, he preached a message of a resurrection. A resurrection. Verse 31. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. I'm thankful this morning that I don't serve a dead God. And I don't just say that to get your amen, because if there's something in this world that ought to get your amen, it ought to be, we serve a risen Savior. But I'm truly thankful that my God is alive. And if He did not have power over death, then why would I expect Him to conquer it for me? He did have power over death. And so at the end of my life, I'm not going to lay on my deathbed worried about what's going to happen, because my Savior has already done once what He's going to do for me. And I'm thankful for that. That's a great truth of the Word of God. But make sure you understand that a resurrected Savior also means a living judge. See, if Christ had not risen, nobody would have to answer for anything. But since Christ did rise, one day all men will stand before Him. And they will answer for their rejection or exception of Him. The, bio, uh, the knowledge of a resurrection Savior means that all men will have to answer for rejecting His salvation. The message of resurrection means so much to us as Christians that we were able to, uh, our God was able to conquer the grave and to be successful over that. And, and such a powerful, wonderful story illustrated in the Bible there but to the world, it means that they can have faith in Him, the one who has conquered death Himself. God here at this passage, it has an ignoring wink. 
Thirdly, I want you to notice, though, and this is really to encourage us. Encourage us in our evangelism, in our sharing of the gospel. Verse 32 of this chapter, we see an individual work. Paul here has preached a message. A message that has included repentance. It's included the resurrection of Christ. It has included so much Bible truth. Man, he has laid it on them thick. And I would say that there's only been a few preachers better in all the world than Paul, and one of them was Christ. Paul must have been a powerful speaker, somebody who could just, you know what, like we always say, light someone shuck or shuck the corn. I mean, Paul could do it, man. And now Paul's standing here, he's preached at Mars Hill, laid everything he has out on the line, he's really laid into them, and there are three clear different reactions to the gospel. First of all, there was a put-down. Verse 32. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Huh. You would think of these people finally heard the truth. I mean, they've been searching all this time. That was evident by their unknown God, right? They've been searching. They've been wanting the truth. And now Paul has come and he's, he's proclaimed the truth. And he's probably proclaimed it very well. And he stands up and he says, I declare unto you the God that created the world and the God that raised his son from the dead. Now, I declare him unto you. You would think that they would be a little more respectful than, you crazy, man. That doesn't even make sense. Paul, he didn't know raise nobody from the dead. That's crazy. But they began to scoff at him. They began to mock him. You see, this wasn't the first time in Paul's ministry that this had happened. Here in chapter 17, if you start at verse 1, Paul enters a town called Thessalonica. He comes and he, as his custom was, he goes into the synagogue. Now, Christ, now, God is not working through the synagogue anymore. This is the book of Acts. What is he working through? The local New Testament church, just like we're meeting in this morning. God's not meeting in the synagogue. Christ came to start the church. And so Paul would go into the synagogue and he would teach the truth and say, Christ came to save you and I and, and, and to, to be baptized. And he's proclaiming the truth to them in Thessalonica. You know what they do? He goes to all these devout Jews, and he's preaching to them. And the only people that get saved are Grecians. Not one Jew. And the Bible says that many devout uh, Greeks uh, 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 believe that day, but of the Jews, they began to force him out of town. And they run Paul straight out of Thessalonica, one of the best missionaries in the Bible, run him straight out of Thessalonica and say, we don't want what you have. He comes to a town of Berea. This is now later on in the chapter about verses 10 through 15. He comes to a town of Berea. And as his custom was, what did he do? He went to the synagogue. And he went to the same type of people, the Jews, the devout Jews, and he goes into them. And he preaches the same message and proclaims the same truth. And now this time, many devout Jews do believe. And Grecians and also other women, they all believe. And then word gets back to the Thessalonians. You know what they do? They come and run him out of Berea. 
They say, Paul, we ran you out of our town, now we have to come run you out of another town. You see, in our, in our evangelism, in our spreading of the gospel, I don't want to lie to you today. Not a lot of people want to hear the truth. Not a lot of people want to hear that the sin that they enjoy so much every Friday night, the sin that they live in and, and make their paycheck to indulge in, that sin is to be repented of before a holy God. That's not a very happy message at times. And not a lot of people want to hear that. But that's the truth. And if I stood before you this morning and I, I said that I had never had a door slammed in my face, I'd be lying. If I stood before you and said that I had never been run off of some man's porch just because he was angry at me, that I was from a Baptist church, I'd be lying. But that's their choice. And they deserve to know. That's why Paul was not affected by their rejection of the gospel. He had seen it time and again. I wonder this morning if the reason we don't share the gospel like we need to is because we're scared of a reaction. Man, I would hate for the people at work to look down on me. That's what I say every day I come to work. I don't want to share the gospel with them. They make fun of me. But many times, that's the reason we don't do it. We don't want to go bother somebody. Maybe they're eating dinner. We don't want to go knock on their door and share the gospel. They might really be mad at me. But I believe this morning, just like Paul, we just need to say they deserve to know. They can do with it what they will, but they deserve to know the truth. And see, right here, he, uh, they just shut him down. They just put him down. And that might happen to you. But there's a second reaction illustrated here in the Bible, and I believe this happens all the time. This is one of the most discouraging ones. Verse 32. Uh, some people mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. And if you have witnessed to many people in your life, I will take the first reaction every day over the second one. Because you sit there and you pour your heart out and you've walked through the Romans road and you've sh you shared everything you can with them. You've shared your personal testimony. You've shared, uh, God so loved you and he sent his son to die for you. And really you're so emotionally invested in the whole pursuit of this man's salvation and decision to place his trust into Christ. And, you, and you're just so into it. And you say, would you like to do that now? And they say, let me think about it. And at that time, you don't have anything to say. There's no right answer for that. You, there's no good comeback. You say, well, I'll be praying for you. But that is the most discouraging thing. And right here, these people heard the gospel and it wasn't bad to them. They just said, you know, we'll hear you again sometime. Boy, what a sad reaction. But people's reaction can never dictate to us our ability or our willingness to share the gospel. Man, if just one more soul was to make a decision in Christ, all the people that slam the door in your face will be worth it, I promise. And these people said, no, I, I think we'll wait. Probably one of the most exciting times in the Apostle Paul's ministry is when he had the a, opportunity to share the gospel to a king. 
He stood before a man by the name of Agrippa. And he waxed eloquent, man. And I hope that one day you'll take time to go read that sermon. It's more his testimony. Paul lays out in front of King Agrippa and he says, If you were to ask the people that knew me before, King Agrippa, oh, they would tell you a little bit about me. He says, I was the man that imprisoned many Christians. I was the man who, uh, and, and it's very, when you get to the point and you're sharing your testimony with someone, it becomes a very intimate experience, experience with them because you open up. And Paul's sitting there and he's saying, Agrippa, I, I was a man who, who even killed many Christians because I was so angry at them. The Bible says that, those words. I was angry at them. He was so mad at them, he was killing Christians. And Paul goes on and he says, but King Agrippa, one day I was going down a road and I was riding on my donkey and a light shone from heaven and it knocked me off of my donkey and, and I heard this voice that says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee, me to kick, for thee to kick against the pricks. And Paul shares his testimony and his conversion story with King Agrippa. Now, during this time, there's a little guy by the name of Festus. I just imagine him being very nerdy. I don't know why. But he's sitting over there to the side, and he just can't take it anymore. And Paul is preaching. Paul is sharing his heart. And Festus says, Paul, much learning doth make thee mad. And he pushed up his glasses. I added that part for dramatic flair. I just imagine him be the nerdiest guy in the world. He says, Paul, much learning doesn't make me mad. <laughs> and Paul says, no, most noble Festus. And he shares with him. And then Paul asks Agrippa for an answer. He says, Agrippa, will thou believe? You know what King Agrippa's response is? Almost. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Could you imagine Paul's heartbreak? Paul's just sorrow for this man's decision he just made. But the fact of the matter is, Agrippa knew the truth. And the next time Agrippa made his way to worship his false god, it would not be in ignorance. It would be in complete rejection to the Savior of the world. And Paul just laid before him the truth, and that is all you and I are called to do, Christian. Think too many times and take the Holy Spirit out of our evangelism. We have never, ever been called to save people. All we've been called to do is present the Savior to them. And the Holy Spirit takes care of that from there. We plant the seed, but God is the one who gives the increase. And I hope that in your evangelism, in your sharing of the gospel, you know that it's not based upon a person's reaction as to whether you're a good soul winner. The only bad soul winner is the person that doesn't soul win. Whether you're a good soul winner or not is whether you share the gospel. So Paul was a great soul winner, not because he had a lot of people get saved or convert, Paul was a great soul winner because he shared the gospel everywhere he went. 
And so there's really two, two reactions so far that put down the people that mock him. The people who say, well, we would love to hear you again some other time, Paul. But look, at, and this is the third thing in verse 34. There was a profession. There were people who decided that the story that Paul told impacted them. It meant so much to them that they were willing to trust in the story that Paul shared. The Bible says in verse 34, Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed, among the which was Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Now as Paul stood there that day, I can't imagine him thinking that two was going to be a great day. He stood there preaching to probably hundreds of people. I mean, he's on Mars Hill, man, a location where many people gathered to worship. And Paul's preaching, and Paul's preaching. And out of it, two believed, among the which was Dionysius and the Areopagite and the woman named Damaris. You know, I don't really know if Paul thought that was a successful day. All that Paul did was share the truth. All he did was do what he was called to do. And God was the one who worked in the hearts of the people. And the people were the one that had to either accept or reject Christ. If I were to ask you this morning, what was the most important missionary journey in all the Bible, what would you say? I mean, Paul himself went on four. So, I mean, there's missionary journeys all throughout the Bible. Which one's the most important? I believe we could probably narrow it down to one that Paul was involved with. Because on Paul's missionary journeys, uh, he planted church after church, and, and many people were saved, and he was able to have the ability to uh, set up pastors over those churches and, and, and get them right before he just left them. And, and he was able to share with them through letters and correcting doctrine and, and other things like that. So Paul was the man when it came to missions trip. But can I just say to you, it wasn't his first missions trip that was the greatest. It wasn't his second, his third, or even his venture to Rome. The greatest missionary journey in the Bible, Paul was involved in, but his name wasn't Paul at the time. It was Saul. And a man by the name of Ananias was commissioned by God to go witness to the assassin of the Christians. The guy who had no doubt killed friends of his. And Ananias said, Lord, I, I mean, how am I supposed to know? And God says, no, I need you to go do this. Paul knows you're coming. I need you to go to a street called Straight and touch his eyes. Can I ask you what was to happen if Ananias had never gone? Just Ananias. The Bible only says a certain disciple. He doesn't even say he was some holy man. I believe he was because God was able to use him. The Bible calls him a certain disciple. In fact, I believe I could even take liberty to just say he was a layman. Just a, a faithful believer. And because of God's call on his life to share the gospel with one man, to go and help one man, to go and encourage somebody in the truth of word, uh, the word of God... Because of his decision to obey God's call in his life, millions have been impacted since. Without the first missionary journey of Ananias, there would never have been one through four of Paul. This morning you may be saying, I don't know what I could do. I, 
I definitely couldn't go to Argentina, probably couldn't go to China. I probably couldn't give it all up and just do something that big. You know what God's calling you to do? Serve where you're at. God's calling you to go and share the gospel with maybe a Paul down the road. Oh, you say, I'm just a a lowly layman. You're just an Ananias. You're just an Ananias. You're just trying to go share the truth with somebody. You're just trying to go weed out any false preconceived notions. You're just trying to make sure that the next time that person goes to worship, it's not ignorantly, but they're fully informed on the truth of God's Word. When I was in college, I remember walking into a class one day called Bible Doctrines 2. And that's one of the hardest classes that's offered at our college. It's uh, not because of the, the doctrines, but because how in-depth the doctrines get. Now, there's Greek 1, which is a pain, Greek 2, which is a pain, Greek 3 and 4, which a bunch of other fools had to take, and I didn't, so that was good. There's also Hebrews. I mean, there's a lot of tough classes, but Bible doctrines, too, is one of the hardest. We walked into class on the first day, and we were handed our syllabus, and we were going down through the syllabus, and we looked down there, and it said, do by midterm, actually just before midterm, a 10-page, single-space paper on the topics from this list. A 10-page, single-space paper. Now, normally you write your, your papers in college double-spaced, which would mean that technically would have been a 20-page paper. So it was about, I think my paper had just shy of 10,000 words in it by the time I was done. So sitting there on the first day, you're thinking, whoa, man, that's a lot to do. Whoa, man, with all the other classes i got to take, i got to somehow be creative enough to put all this in a paper. And I figured out the best way to get through college is just to preach on paper. Like for me, I just started preaching and just didn't stop typing. Because I'm not creative enough to come up with anything, so I just had an outline and I literally preached on paper. Three people got saved. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That didn't happen. But in the class, obviously, on the first day, we were given the syllabus. All of us were like, man, that's crazy. And you know, all the upperclassmen have shared with us before, yeah, three people died. You know, they, they just like embellish how bad it was. So you go in there very intimidated and, and, and you kind of, uh, I sat with a certain group of friends and I specifically sat with one guy right here to my left every day and and man, this paper was coming up, and as we progressed throughout the semester, this paper was weighing heavy on everybody. And, and I remember that uh, it took me a long time to write that bad boy, because like I say, I'm not very intelligent. I, I just had to make up stuff. Wikipedia was a tremendous help along the way on the doctrine of Christ. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Don't go look up the deity of Christ on Wikipedia. Maybe not a good idea. But I was trying to do everything I could to... To, to get everything done on paper. And, and I walked into class that day, and, and it was unique because we didn't turn them in folder form because it would have been so many folders and so much paper. We emailed them. And so what was unique is I had my mom proofread it, and she emailed it directly to my professor, and they totally roasted me for that, that my mom sent my professor my paper in front of 200 men from the college. That was a great day of my life. 
But I remember uh, sitting there and we walked into class on the day that it was due and I, I looked over to this guy that I sat beside every single day. His name was Tori. I said, Tori, did you email your paper in? And he goes, no. My eyes got big. And he said, no, nah, well, I've been really busy lately. I'm just going to wait a couple of days and I'll do it this weekend and I'll send it in late and get a certain percentage taken off. I said, Tori, you didn't read the syllabus, did you? He goes, what do you mean? I go, that paper is 60% of our grade. Literally, you would not ever have to come to class. And if you turned that in and got a good grade on it, you could pass the semester. But since you didn't turn it in, you failed. You literally are sitting in a class you cannot pass. He's like, no, 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 no. Look at it, Tori. He opened up his syllabus, and I watched his face as he read the truth. I was like, and he just got up. He picked his books up and just got up and left the class. And I go, Tori, where are you going? He goes, I'm going to drop this thing. Tori, we're halfway through the semester. I can't pass anyway. See, Tori had a false idea of reality. He just didn't know. He thought he had this great plan all masterminded out. I was busy, but I'll get it in and I'll still pass. It'll be no problem. But he didn't know the truth, the law. What was only the thing that mattered was what that teacher wrote down. You see, people in America, they're not bad people. They just don't know the truth. Uh, I don't care how deep and dark and depraved the sin is, uh, they're just people who don't know the truth. And if they do know the truth and have rejected the truth, I'm not the one that will answer for that. They are. Oh, we commence missions conference this week, and I, I hope that we are so excited about that. I hope we're all ready to uh, hear the testimony of missionaries and here are the ideas and visions for each and every respective uh, mission. I hope that we're excited about it. But within our own mission here in Joshua, there's still people who need to know the unfiltered, unaltered truth of God's Word. And that's up to you and I. That's up to each and every one of us to just say, no matter the reaction, whether I am mocked, whether I'm delayed, whether they convert, that's not up to me to decide. I will share the truth that God has given to me. That's all we're called to do. What a shame it would be to stand before the great white throne of judgment and somebody have to say, I just didn't know. Oh, if somebody stands before God and says, I rejected your son. Somebody shared him with me. God will say, depart from me. I never knew you. But there will be one that stands there and says, I lived next door to a Christian my whole life. I was seven blocks from a church and nobody knocked on my door. God, I just didn't know the truth. See, there was a time when God was able to overlook it, but His Son changed all that. And the cross of Calvary is something that no man will be able to look past at the day of judgment.